Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Hello and welcome to The Best in the World with Richard Parr. It is another week where we learn from the greatest sports stars on the planet. They are world champions, Olympic champions, world record holders and world number ones. They give us actionable insight that we can use for our everyday lives. I've got a fantastic guest for you this week and I'll tell you all about him in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you about 99designs. 99designs is a design website where if you need anything created or designed such as a t-shirt or a logo or a business card or a website, then you can get 99designs to do it for you. What they do is they offer it to talented freelancers all around the world, and then you work closely with these freelancers to get your ideal product. It is something that I've personally used. I used it when... I created the logo for Sportachino. Take a look at it at sportachino.com. And it is a product I really recommend. And because I personally use it, I would like for you to use it too. Why don't you go and check them out? Just head to sportachino.com forward slash 99 designs. Trust me, you will really, really like what they produce for you. And in fact, if you don't like what they offer in the first place, you can get your money back. All of the terms and conditions are, of course, on their website. Head to sportachino.com forward slash 99 designs. This week's guest is Kasper Steinfaff. Kasper Steinfaff is a stand-up paddleboard world champion. In fact, he's won a title in that sport four times at a world level and he is fantastic on a whole range of topics including overcoming fear what's amazing about Casper is that he used to be scared to put his head underwater and now he's a multi-time world champion in a sport which takes place on water Pretty amazing, huh? Well, he gives us an insight into how he was able to overcome his fear and gives us tips on perhaps how we can overcome our fear, whether it's to do with water or anything else that comes up in our lives. He's also really good at goal setting and how we should look to have incremental goals. He'll explain more of that in the podcast. 
Plus, he talks about his amazing attempt at trying to paddle from Norway to Denmark. Oh, in fact, I think it was Denmark to Norway, the other way around. But either way, it's still 130 kilometers. And Casper just failed short slightly, but he'll explain exactly what happened in what is an amazing attempt of human performance. We love talking about high performance, sports performance, and learning about things we can learn in our everyday life. So let's get to it. Let's learn from the very best, the best in the world, the stand-up paddleboarding world champion, Kasper Steinfaff. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Kasper Steinfarf, welcome to the best in the world with Richard Parr, a world champion in paddleboarding. It's so great to have you on the program. But you have such an amazing story because, tell me if I'm wrong here, but you were actually scared of water to begin with. Is this true? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. Um, actually, it's uh, it's a funny story. Like uh, growing up in the cold north, the country of Denmark in Scandinavia, um, I grew up in this small fishing village where people were used to working in the ocean and people didn't really play much in the ocean. And I remember as a kid, I had this really strong phobia of getting my head underwater. And um, whether it was in the swimming hall or playing with my dad in the waves, I just did not like the idea of of getting my head wet. And um, I think my dad never expected me to become a surfer. He thought I was going to be a a fisherman or a skier or something. (laughs) Something like that. So how did you eventually overcome it? Well, um, you know, surfing was something I always did with my family. And like, even though I was scared of water, I would still go out on my, with my dad on his big tandem surfboard and catch waves. But I think for me, what really got me past my phobia and like past that mental barrier was when my friends started surfing. When I was like 10 years old. Um, I had two really good friends in, in my class that also got the surf bug and one thing led to the next. And, and you know, the feeling as kids, when you start, you know, being competitive and pushing each other in a healthy way. So it was the, it was, I just got so much, I felt so much in love with surfing that I had to find a way to get past my fear and the fear actually turned into a good thing. Cause, cause today it's, I still remind, I still stay mindful of fear as a as a good thing Mm. Uh, for anyone else who would be in a similar situation to you say a young 10 year old or even even an adult who's who's scared of the water do you have any any tactics or do you have anything that you'd recommend to people to help get over that fear you know i i think we we all have fear in lives like no matter if you're a, a surfer or you're a you're a mountain climber or it could be in any fade any any type of thing in everyday life, like standing up in front of a group of people to give a speech. Um, It can be nerve wracking and scary. I think from the best advice I could give anyone is to to just breathe and really try to understand what it is you're doing. Because it's like if as a kid, I remember I would look at the ocean and I would just be like completely awestruck, like, wow, this is such a big element. Like, how can I even go out there and survive? And sometimes I think we humans intimidate ourselves much more than we actually have to. 
So um, it's it's really good to sometimes take a step back and uh, and breathe and like maybe like talk to someone about um, what's actually happening in front of you. You know, it's I, I don't think I don't think it's a healthy thing to just walk away and isolate yourself. If you have a bad experience swimming, for example, I think one of the best things you can actually do is try to work with that fear and turn it into something positive, like uh, take lessons. And when you conquer that fear, everything, like, it just feels like the world is at your feet. Mm, it becomes a real achievement, doesn't it? Exactly. Um, so you started off kind of playing with your friends and being competitive with your friends. And you are considered Denmark's only pro stand-up paddleboarder. So how are you that? How were you then able to kind of develop it? Because obviously you're going to hit a plateau of a level with your friends. So how did you get good enough to be one of the best in the world? What was the next step for you? Well, I mean, it's it's been one long journey for me that I look back at in different phases. Hmm. Like obviously after I got into surfing with my friends, my dad is my dad's from California, from a place with a rich surfing culture. And he, you know, I come from Denmark. Denmark is a great country, but it, it doesn't have all the best waves in the world. So my dad quickly realized that when my brother and I got the surfing bug, he made sure to travel with us abroad. Like we went to the island of Madeira in Portugal, oh, wow. which is, um, is an island that's very similar to Hawaii in its geographical sense, that it's an island surrounded by deep water and a big ocean, which equivalates to really powerful waves. And... Um, you know, I think that's actually a very big key in my upbringing was that our dad exposed us, my brother and I, to surfing waves of consequence where uh, you had to really develop your skills and also your skills as a human to understand when is the time to paddle out in the surf and when is the time to not paddle out uh, when it's too too crazy. So um, I think that was, you know, that was the next step for me, uh, engaging in waves of consequence and that. Uh, that definitely gave me a hunger to uh, to push myself even more. Mm. Is that something that you just learn instinctively, or is there anything you could p potentially tell our listeners for what to look out for when not to paddle out? Um, yeah, you know, it's it's something in life that we all face um, as surfers. You know, we we love playing in the elements of Mother Nature. We love the, the satisfaction that riding a, a wave to the beach can give us. It's a sort of adrenaline kick. A lot of people look at surfers and, and you know, we're, we're kind of, what do you call us? We're like labeled as adrenaline junkies <laughs> by a lot of people, I think. And, you know, it's, I don't agree with that because, of course, we, we love the kick of feeling alive and the, the power sur we're surrounded by. But um, as a surfer... Um, you know, there's just, there's also just some conditions out there when the waves are too big or the currents are too strong that you have to say, look, I'm not master of the ocean. Mother Nature can do whatever she wants to me, um, and I, I can't do anything about it. So, so like, I think it's very important to look at, I mean, for everyone, like when you go to the beach, for example, look at the conditions on that given day and decide, is that is this something beyond my... Uh, experience level like can i can i cope with this and uh, actually i have the biggest respect for people that are capable of of making the choice of not going out mm. because that actually explains that you have a deeper understanding mm. do uh, just talking hypothetically here though 
do you sometimes need to go out on those challenging waters at, at, at times just to push yourself a bit further? Or is it just understanding where your level is at? Well, it's that, that's a tricky question because you can say that if you, if you always go out in conditions that you feel comfortable in, you're never going to progress. Hmm. So it's kind of like a, it's like a dichotomy of, of what you have to go. It's like you, you surf conditions and you paddle out on days when you feel happy about it and good about it. But then, you know, you also got to push, push your limits at some point. And it's, it really comes down to all the experience you've uh, accumulated over time that puts you on the beach on this given day with these, you know, possibly big waves breaking. And, um, if you feel that you understand the way the ocean is working, like you see the mechanics, um, like how, how to break through the rip currents and stuff. Um, yeah, then, then you got to go for it, but it's only when you see the green light, like all of a sudden you see, um, a pattern, so to say, it's like, it's like a skier sees, uh, certain lines in the mountains. Mm. It's like a track. It's like a uh, uh, what do you call it? like a mountain biker sees certain trails and obstacles. Um, all of a sudden, as a surfer, you also see lines that are possible that you deemed impossible just maybe days before. Mm. So it's really fascinating. Like you, you've got to push the limits at some point, but um, yeah, at your own level. Yeah, I guess it's like a rock climber who. Uh, normally goes up one route and then has always thought another route's too hard and has tried it and then is actually able to do it while others would be like no I'd never go that way exactly exactly like I'm so fascinated by by climbers in the sense that you know it's really about using your imagination and also logic I guess um, you know what's possible and what's not but um, I'm really fascinated by uh, by a lot of different sports and um I mean, as a surfer and as a stand-up paddler, I'm, I'm always inspired every time I get to go on the ocean in, in a new location where I have to read a whole new set of conditions. Like, like surfing in Denmark is, is not at all the same as, say, for example, going surfing in, uh, in Cape Town in South Africa, mm. just as an example. It's, um, that's what's magical about it, right? <laughs> it is. Oh, Cape Town is, is one of my favorite places in the world. And you mentioned Madeira earlier. Where is your favorite place to, to paddle in, in the world? Because I'm guessing you've been to a lot of different places. Yeah, you know, um, I get that question one, once in a while. And, you know, I feel very fortunate and thankful to have, um, through my sport, been able to explore many corners of the world. Um, but it's... If there's one, there's two places I kind of come down to. That's like my two dream places. One is uh, Iceland mm. in um, in the North Atlantic. Iceland is such a, a fascinating place because it's a great, beautiful location to go paddling. Like whether you want to go on a stand-up paddleboard and paddle in the fjords next to the big icebergs or you want to go surfing in the in the wild waves. And Iceland's kind of got it all. And, and you have, you know, just the power of, of, of mother nature with the big mountains and volcanoes. And, oh, I, I just feel, uh, I feel awestruck every time I, <laughs> I get to go there. Mm, and it, you mentioned the, the logic there of different sports. And are, are you a person who's interested in like logical thinking and, and, and is that something you look into beyond your own sport? Um, yeah, sort of. I mean, I always, I consider myself, you know, a, an athlete, but I also, as a human being, like I always 
feel very engaged in what's going on around me. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess in some ways you could say surfing is logical. Some ways it's totally emotional as well. <laughs> it's really about the feeling and and like this the sensation of gliding across across uh, water. Um, you know, actually, one thing I keep thinking of is a term I've come to really like is the French. They have a term for for all the board sports, like whether you're you're gliding on water on a surfboard or you're gliding across the snow um, or skateboarding or in motion. The French have this term called sports de glisse. Mm. Um, I don't know if you I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's it really sums up the whole feeling of of a board rider that uh, you know you're you're it's kind of this feeling that you don't get anywhere else in life. And mm. uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a hundred percent. I think I'm I'm more feeling than logic. <laughs> <laughs> the best in the world podcast with Richard Parr. We'll be back with Casper in just a moment, but I wanted to tell you about Patreon. Now, Patreon is a crowdfunding website, a bit like Kickstarter, but the main difference about Patreon is it allows you to support your favourite creators on a monthly basis. You know, when you have a Kickstarter campaign, it's for one project, you put the money towards it, if you make the target, if they achieve their goal then they get the money and then the project is over what's great about patreon is you become part of a community and you become part of helping your favorite creator on a regular basis so you can see them grow you can continue with their journey and of course our podcast the best in the world with richard Parr, is on patreon it's one of the ways that we're looking to help monetize this program so we can keep it on the air so we can continue to learn from the greatest sports stars on the planet Head to patreon.com forward slash best in the world for more details. And you'll see there's lots of different tiers there of how you can support from as low as $1 a month. Just think, you probably spend at least $3 on a coffee a day. This way, at $1 a month, ideally five or ideally a little bit more if you can afford it, you will help keep our show on the air and you'll continue to be able to learn from the very greatest sports stars on the planet. That website address again is patreon.com forward slash best in the world and we'll have lots of different things on there for you including bonus content including a little heads up on some of the guests we've got coming up on the program. Just again head to patreon.com forward slash best in the world. All right, let's return to Casper Steinfaff. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Stand-up paddleboarding is not really on the Olympics. It's not really what you'd see on on TV usually, but it is a growing sport. Can you just explain to us what, what a typical race would involve, Casper? So uh, stand-up paddling is yeah, it's still a new sport. It's um, it's growing really fast, and um, all all across the world, you're seeing races. The racing part of stand-up paddling is really thriving because you can paddle anywhere. There doesn't have to be big waves. You can do it in uh, flat water locations on lakes and fjords and stuff as well. Mm. But um, a, a typical stand-up paddle race is, is like um, a five five kilometer course. Um, it could be, it could be anything from just a cruise down like a canal, 
through a beautiful landscape. Um, you know, there really there's there's a couple different styles of races, um, but the the most action packed and exciting one for me is it's called the technical race, and it's like a four to five kilometer race where you start on the beach, you run with your board into the water, and it's kind of like the border cross of of uh, of stand up paddling where you have to turn around buoys oh, wow. and you have to come back to the beach and you have a caddy that picks up your board for you while you have to run up around these uh, chicanes on the beach and stuff. And, um, it, it really is kind of like a border cross and, uh, you know, it's what's cool to me about stand up paddling is that it's so dynamic. I mean, you can, you can do all these crazy surf, uh, moves like, you know, you can race through the surf as well, which creates an extra excitement level but um, you can also just take it on um expeditions you know you can go to your local lake or or wherever your imagination takes you so well i was i guess i was talking about a stand-up paddle race and i went off on this tangent but <laughs> <laughs> nice it sounds really interesting what, what's been your your favorite race you've ever done um I've uh, probably my favorite race uh, from like personally, like from an action packed point of view, is uh, when I won my um, when I won my uh, third world title was in it was in Fiji last year, where I was racing in the final of the technical race at a remote location called Cloudbreak. It's a legendary surf spot, and uh, we had the race there. So part of this this race was we had three laps of a uh, of a kilometer each and on the on one of on each lap you had to go through the surf and catch a wave as well and it was just so awesome like the waves would separate the field and like the guys that were in front all of a sudden they would be in the back and you know, it was really like the peloton was getting all mixed up and you couldn't you know it's just impossible to guess who was going to win oh, and wow. uh, for me for me it was my favorite because um i was i had a good start but i fell back into the peloton and and I was like laying in, I was in fourth or fifth spot most of the race. And I was kind of over it and I'd given up almost at the end. And on the last leg, sure enough, this wave comes out of nowhere. I, and I see it and like dig really hard with my paddle and push my hardest to catch it. And, and sure enough, I catch it and like soar from, from fifth to first wow. <laughs> and, uh, and get to cross the finish line and, and raise my arms. So that's the beauty of stand-up racing to me. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> as as a two-time champion going into that race w was there a lot of pressure on you at all i would say um there was a fair amount of pressure um especially given that i you know i got two titles already and it was my favorite discipline and um actually it was pressure is an interesting thing because you know it can it can it can very much uh what do you call it paralyze you and like you can, it's kind of like the fear of, of going in the ocean when I was a kid, like it could paralyze me, but you can also turn it around and use that pressure for something good. And uh, I think I, because I, because it was at cloud break and the waves were firing, uh, I just think I, I smiled and tried to have a good time, <laughs> just catch some good waves, but uh, it was monumental. That's for sure. What does your pre-race routine look like, Casper? For me, I like to uh, wake up, you know, roughly like four hours before my race starts. I'll put on some uh, some oatmeal, and I'll, I'll eat a, a lot of oatmeal before a race. That's uh, that's what we do in Denmark. <laughs> how, how much is a lot? 
so if, if you say like one regular size bowl, that's a normal portion. Yeah. I'm, I, I usually aim for three to four. <laughs> if, I, if, if, I get, if, if I get to three, I'm satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> and anything in that oatmeal extra? Um, yeah, you know, I like, uh, I like, um, I found this love for applesauce, like oh. organic, fresh made applesauce and raisins and almonds, you know, a bunch of just basically, I don't, I don't like to put too much stuff in, just keep it simple, but, um, get the energy food in there, like all the, the essentials. Mm. And then, and then when I got my oatmeal in my bowl. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And eating it, I'd like to put on some some tunes. I like to listen to heavy metal before my races. Okay, <laughs> like, I like to put on some, you know, some uh, some Iron Maiden and some other good stuff. Gets me going. <laughs> Superb. And uh, what what happens next? Is it then just heading to the event? Yeah. So then I then I go to the event, and that's a very interesting thing as well, because because at the event you're you're not isolated anymore. Like you're, you're in the spotlight from the moment you, you get to the event site and whether it's journalists or photographers that want to catch up with you or fans, you know, you gotta, you gotta sort of balance that because being a modern athlete is not just, in my opinion, being a modern athlete is not just winning and staying focused on your training. It's also meeting people and you're like, a, you're a character in a, in a play that, you know, people want to be part of your story as well. And, and I, I try to, I try and maybe until like up till an hour before the race, I try to be open and, and answer questions and pose for photos and, you know, hang out with people. But that last hour before, before, uh, it's time, I like to just isolate myself, put in some more good music, start doing some on land warmups, um, getting the, the blood flowing in my body. And uh, and then you know get ready for battle, kind of like like the old Vikings do. <laughs> was was there a moment then when you you were kind of 
you say you've got a lot of people asking you questions and, and wanting to speak to you. Was there a moment where you went from, I'm just this guy turning up to a, an event and no one really knows who I am, to, oh, everyone wants to speak to me and talk to me? And and was if if that did happen, how easy was that transition? It's uh, it's kind of it is fascinating thinking back on on my my journey. Like, is when I started competing, I was very, you know, very um, you know, mellow about it. I always wanted to win, and I'll do my best to win. But at events, it was it was easy because no one, you know, I was, I was just Casper. Like, I was not I was not a big name or anything. But then I think the moment it really became apparent to me was was this year in um. We had the world championship in Denmark, in Copenhagen, in Cold Hawaii. And, uh, you know, just the contrast since my first race in 2009 to how I was standing in the summer in Copenhagen was just, it was the biggest contrast of worlds I've ever experienced. Mm. Um, like where people wanted to, you know, wish me luck and, you know, want to make sure I'm ready or, or whatnot. It's, it's uh, it's definitely been a transition, and I'm I'm very thankful that so many people follow what I'm doing and fo- have followed my journey, because uh, I mean I've just been doing this, I've been doing stand up paddling and racing because it's my passion and and the the goals I wanted to achieve. But um, if you'd asked me like six years ago if if I would ever be on top of the world, I I don't know what I would answer because uh, this is kind of s- s- completely uh, out of this world uh, where I am now, and I'm. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> mm, right, so it sounds like you you become an excellent ambassador for for Denmark and and for the sport. And has that encouraged more people to join the sport from from your country? Um, I would I would say that you know stand up paddling has been on a, a wave of popularity in recent years. It's still growing here in Denmark. I mean, in Denmark we have seven thousand kilometers of, of coastline waterline and you know it's just the perfect place for, for stand-up paddling and that was one of the goals with the world championship this year was to highlight that we have all this water and you know this, these great accessible uh, beaches so um yeah stand-up paddling is definitely growing and and to see i think to me what means the most personally is seeing uh kids you know young kids that uh that embrace this new sport and dream like i see in in some of my younger friends like their dreams of 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 racing and becoming top of the world but also traveling the world and and viewing uh the planet we live on through through the, the glasses of this sport so uh, that, that's what makes me really happy is that that i can be part of inspiring the next generation mm. and uh that's what that's what we're we're going to look back at eventually as athletes is what legacy do we leave behind and is it something we're proud of? That's I think every athlete can can relate to that. Mm, yeah, it's re- really important. And uh, you mentioned the the travel there again, Casper. And what's great about the world today is we can fly most places. Yet earlier this year, you decided to paddle from Denmark to Norway, <laughs> which I believe yes. is about 130 kilometers. Um, yeah. <laughs> why did you decide to do that, Casper? <laughs> Why did I decide to go back to living like the ancient Vikings? <laughs> Pretty much. I don't. Well, I well I know why. It's it, it's um you know we live in a world where we have a lot of luxuries around us. We're able to 
live the lifestyle we want. We can choose whatever education we want. We can choose a lot of things, what sports we want to do. I think for me, what it came down to was that ever since I started stand-up paddling, I kept dreaming about this vessel I was on. Like, what, what is the limit? How far can I go? And uh, I always grew up with stories of the ancient Vikings, like drawing out beyond the horizon, you know, to whether it was out of, you know, the Vikings probably did it not just out of uh, a will to go see what's beyond the horizon, but you also got to, you know, deal with the situation you're in. And, um, you know, it was not always easy, but for me, paddling across the Skagerrak Ocean, which is what it's called between Denmark and Norway, was to, to test myself in the ultimate challenge. Um, can I, can I do this? And, uh, it, it's the fascination of what lies beyond the horizon. And, uh, like my forefathers, it was something I set out to do, uh, on, February, on a, on a dark February morning at 5 AM, uh, this year. And it was, a uh, it was a very long journey. It, um, it was 130 kilometers. And after, um, after 16 hours of paddling, and uh, 54,000 paddle strokes. Uh, I had to, uh, I had to uh, call it quits. I had to uh, stop my uh, my crossing because uh, it was uh, Mother Nature turned against us. The I had a following boat with me, and my safety crew and I deemed it was not uh, it was not responsible to continue fighting because the conditions were deteriorating. A storm was brewing, and uh, it was probably one of the most bitter moments in my life because I was only 12 kilometers away from, from the coast of Christiansand, which was my destination. Mm. But um, I could see the lighthouse, and I was at this point I was actually laying down on my board because the waves were so big and unruly that I, no matter how much effort I put in, I just could not stand up. So I was laying on my board paddling and looking at my GPS, and I was not moving. <laughs> I was like at a standstill and um, it was a very bitter moment that uh, I put so much energy into it. But I also realized, hey, I'm not the master of the ocean. No matter how much I want to make it across and and reach this achievement, it's just not going to happen today. Mother Nature has other plans. (laughs) Did you have enough in you then um, to do it had it not been to do with the weather? Quite how tired were you at that stage? I mean, after after 16 hours, uh, I was I was feeling very fatigued. Um, my legs were kind of shot because I mean, try standing up for 16 hours; it, it kind of gets to you. <laughs> I can't do it for two hours on, and that's not even on a board. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, was, I think you know my mind was still strong, and you know, when you're really determined and passionate about reaching a goal, you'll go to great extents. It's like a parent will go to great extents for a child they love. Um, and for me, I just, no matter how much I wanted to, my, my body just couldn't do it more. Um, my, uh, my legs were gone and, uh, actually my fingers were starting to, um, as soon as I stopped paddling, it went really quick with, with the cold was setting in and like I was getting close to some hypothermia type situation. And my fingers were all blue when I got on the on the safety boat. And actually, the craziest part of that crossing was the moment when we called it quits, and I had to get back on the mothership. And the this the jet ski, which was my the, the small safety craft, picked me up. And 
the waves were so big and this boat was just like rocking back and forth and it was the middle of the night and I felt like I was in a scene of deadliest catch. <laughs> like oh, <crikey. laughs> I was seeing the waves crashing on the boat and, um, and thankfully I had a really good safety team with me and they got me on board. But uh, I was I was at the mercy of, of a greater power at that moment. And it was, it was kind of humbling actually. It was a very humbling experience. Why why February? Because I'm guessing it'd be a bit warmer if you'd have done it in June, July, August. There would also be more light. Yeah, <laughs> it was uh, the choice for doing it in the winter was um, out of when I, when I looked at the challenge. Like I I could do it in the summer and it would probably be a lot easier. But I have done long paddles in my life and I felt what really made this expedition different than a lot of other expeditions I've done and others that have been done in the world is it was a winter expedition. And it's like, I guess you can compare it to say climbers, mountain climbers that, you know, they also, there isn't a thing for like say North face ascents or winter ascents that, you know, they're not the easiest of times to reach a peak, but it's also a time where you're tested in a, in a much more extreme way. And you're, you're forced to find, a set of skills inside yourself beyond what you normally have. And um, it was just the aspect of the challenge because, of course, it would be hard in the summer as well, but it would be that much more satisfying, I would say, to to do it in the winter. So, um, you know, it, of course, hindsight, you know, maybe it was not the right decision, but I, I, still, I still stand by that um, it was a challenge I set for myself. And, you know, it was... I made some mistakes, but I, I want to learn from my mistakes and, you know, uh, hopefully give it a second attempt because the dream is still alive within me. Mm. In 2018? Yeah, you know, we're actually, um, we're still work, we're working on it, doing a, a second attempt in uh, 18, hopefully in February, uh, if conditions allow. You know, that's the other thing you got to, with, with lots of winter storms coming through at these latitudes, you got to wait for the right moment to um to cross so uh if everything goes right i'll um i'll set out again in february from denmark going to norway and try to uh, to learn from from what went wrong last time mm. and uh, hopefully hopefully i can reach reach norway and make a dream come true i'm i'm, I'm sure that'll happen i'm keeping my fingers crossed for no more storms when you next try it uh <laughs> When you were preparing for it, did you do anything differently to what you normally do throughout the season? Yeah, so for for me, the the crossing to Norway, which I call the Viking crossing, it's it's an endurance deal. You're paddling like it's like an ultra marathon. You're paddling probably between probably up around eighteen twenty hours ideally, and. Um, my preparation for that is so much different than what I normally do for stand-up racing because my type of racing normally is like more of a sprint or explosive style thing with lots of buoy turns and, and sprint situations. Uh, whereas the crossing, I had to like find a very low intensity uh, level of paddling and I had to sustain that for a long time. So in, in, my, in my preparation, I did a lot of, of cardio training, uh, long, long paddle sessions, Lots of running at a low intensity, and uh, just I think mentally preparing for, you know, being out there for a long time. Uh, I think that's that was almost the hardest part was, um, you know, uh, realizing, oh my God, I still have 
like 120 kilometers to go um, mentally was the hardest thing to deal with. And uh, I had to, I had to find uh, a method to break it down into segments because if you always if I always thought about the final goal of reaching Norway, which is like maybe 18 hours away, I would never make it. So I started breaking it into like one hour segments and like every time I paddled uh, five kilometers, I would give myself a high five and, <laughs> and uh, you know a smile. I feel like I achieved something. So I think, you know, and I, I learned that from the experience that and in general in life, when a goal sometimes is, seems too big and overwhelming, you got to break it down and like give yourself waypoints, whether it's a, a business case you're working on or a hard training session, break it into increments and give yourself the feeling of success every time you reach one of those waypoints. And then all of a sudden the big goal is a lot more achievable. Wise words. When, when you're doing that, did, did you have music on you or nothing? On the um, on the hindsight. Uh, nah, <laughs> I. Uh, in hindsight, I, I would love to have had music. Um, I, I didn't have it, but um, I had a, you know, I had a GPS on me, and I was, you know, actually, I think I was singing to myself for some of the way, just, <laughs> you know, entertaining myself. Like I was, I got had some. Uh, I had some really good, uh, you know, some Iron Maiden going and stuff. Oh, so it's like a little concert. Well, I was giving a concert, yeah, <laughs> so to say. But but my my best source of uh, of entertainment was actually my following boat, where we had you know uh, the the cinematographers and uh, the the captains and like my brother and my girlfriend were on the boat as well. You know, my best source of entertainment was listening. What's what's the status report on the boat? how many people are sick right now <laughs> who are getting seasick and who weren't. <laughs> oh dear. Oh. So it was, you know what, it was an adventure for not just myself, but the whole crew that was involved. Cause you, you've, of course, uh, you, you've, you've got a, uh, a movie out as well, st- standing on water. Can you tell us a bit about that Casper? Yeah. So standing on water was, um, it's a documentary movie just under an hour. That's, uh, it uh, shows the the upbringing myself and my my brother have had growing up in Denmark and traveling with our family around the world to follow our passion. And it's really a movie about passion and following uh, your dreams and, you know, growing up in Denmark, which is not exactly the greatest surf nation. Like when I, in, out in the world, when I say I'm from Denmark, for many years I was met with the response like, do you guys even have waves in Denmark? <laughs> And um, it was kind of the movie Standing on Water shows the journey I, I was on to, um, you know, to show the world that Denmark was a legit surfing nation. And it also shows the, the, the community camaraderie of a small town because um, Klitmuller, that small village I live in, is uh, we only have 800 people that live here. And, you know, there's some there's a unique feeling of uh, fellowship and brotherhood and it's um it's a movie about passion and facing your fears and uh, i would recommend anyone with a deep passion f- for life to to give it a watch it's it's available for free to watch on on red bull tv and um yeah it's still uh, it's amazing to see how the movie has touched people all around the world mm, fantastic well i'm i'm going to go i haven't seen it yet so i'm going to check it out and 
Now, I know it's on Red Bull TV. I'll also put a link to it when we put this podcast out. Casper, it's been really great to talk to you. Where else can we continue to follow your journey online? Well, um, I would suggest, uh, I would humbly ask you to uh, follow me on uh, Facebook, Casper Steinfat, and um, my Instagram, CJ underscore Steinfat. Um, I have a lot of adventures coming up in the next uh, next year. And uh, actually, in not too long, hopefully, you can follow my uh, attempt to complete uh, my Viking crossing again. I'm going to I'm going to be um, streaming it live on a live tracker. Oh, wow. So stay tuned to my social media and you might be able to uh, yeah, pick up some news from uh, from the crossing as well. Fantastic. Well, what other adventures have you got lined up? Can you can you uh, tell us or are they under wraps? Well, they're, they're they're not under wraps. They're uh, they're just waiting to unfold. I mean, I'm uh, I'm still as an athlete, I'm I'm still very focused on uh, um, becoming my best. I still have a lot to learn, and I'm going to be chasing my fifth world title in uh, November 18. In 2018, um, we're going to Brazil. I'm excited for that, and then I also look forward to. Uh, to uh, trying some other uh, challenges. I, I really got into kite surfing recently mm. and I had a good friend that signed uh, signed me up for um, a race in Norway on kites. It's a snow kiting race called Ragnarok. Wow. Like the old Viking Viking apocalypse. And uh, it's a 100, 100 kilometer long uh, snow kiting race. So uh, yeah, I have uh, quite a few challenges coming up. Um, some different, they're different in their nature, but that's also what's fascinating, grabbing uh, whatever dreams come flying in. Mm. So when you become a kite surfing uh, world champion, we'll have to get you on here again. <laughs> well, I'd be happy to come back that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, Casper, it's been so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for giving us your expert knowledge and experience. And thank you for being the best in the world. I appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. Aloha. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Now, if you enjoyed that conversation with Casper as much as I did, you might want to check out a few of these other episodes on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. These are some of the real endurance superstars we've had on the program. Another paddleboarder was Damien Ryder. That's all the way back at episode 16. He broke three endurance world records when he paddleboarded 800 kilometers. Yes, you heard right, 800 kilometers from the Gold Coast to Bondi Beach in Australia. Have a listen to that. Around the same time, I also spoke to Lizanne Van Voren. That was episode 17. Lizanne was part of the women's sailing team known as the Coxless Crew. They became the first all women team to row across the Pacific Ocean. They traveled 8,446 miles for 257 days. Wow. Really good story from Lizanne on the podcast. Plus, I also spoke to Jamie McDonald. That was episode 55. He cycled from Bangkok to Gloucester. That was 14,000 miles. And he even went through Afghanistan where he was shot at. He's got a fantastic story. Go and check out that episode. That is number 55, Jamie McDonald on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. 
Well, that's it for this week's podcast. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. You can do it on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Acast, and most likely on whatever other podcast listening app you use maybe overcast for example we're on there as well maybe tune in we're on there i'm not sure if they do a subscription but i'm pretty sure they do but either way you can hear our podcast on tune in i also give really good knowledge every friday as part of my friday newsletter i give you a little bit of information about what is going on in the world of sports and the best in the world of Richard Parr and Sportachino. All you've got to do to make sure you never miss a nugget of information is go to sportachino.com forward slash email. That's sportachino.com forward slash email. All right, that's it for this week. But guess what? Next week is our 100th episode. Yes, we are hitting triple figures. It is an amazing feat to have been able to have spoken to 100 world and Olympic champions, world record holders and world number ones to find out what they do differently from the rest of us. I've got a fantastic guest for you. I spoke to her only about a month ago. It's been in the lock. I've been saving it for you for this 100th episode. You do not want to miss it. It will be out next Thursday. Until then, have a great week. Goodbye. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 